This morning we're reading from Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. Listen for the word of the Lord. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So during this sermon series of eight parts, this is week four, we're talking about broken and blessed. How in the human experience, if you live long enough, every one of us can experience brokenness and blessedness. But I also told you as we began this that we would be examining the nature of God. And how even in the midst of the brokenness, God is at work wanting to bless God's human family. That is, God wants to bless you and me. We read the creation story in chapter 1 and then began to move through these different significant stories about how God is at work in the world. In chapter 12, we meet Abraham and he's hearing this call from God. That God wants to be in a covenant relationship with him. His part would be to follow God's prompting to leave the land of his father, to go to an unknown land. But the promise from God that he hears is that if he goes, he'll be given land, he'll become rich, he'll have children with his wife Sarah, so many that he won't be able to count his descendants. And so Abraham begins this journey following the promptings of God. It is a long journey filled with ups and downs. By the time we get to chapter 22, finally, almost all these promises have come to fruition, particularly the one of a promised son. Isaac has been born. Abraham has been celebrating. Abraham has become 
the model of what God hopes for in terms of a human divine relationship, in terms of Abraham being willing to listen for God, hear God, and follow God's call. But then just as it appears that everything is going so very well, we begin reading in chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. How can this be? What is going on here? This seems outrageous or preposterous that after Abraham has responded and followed God in all of these different directions that God has led him, and finally the promised son after years has been born and weaned and they're celebrating and they have this relationship that now Abraham hears that God wants him to sacrifice, that is to kill his son, to offer him as a burnt offering? It seems insane. Can Abraham be hearing correctly? Maybe Abraham is the one who is insane. But before we can answer these questions, we need to explore this whole idea of discernment a little further. I want us to consider the nature of discerning what an invisible God is leading us to do. How can we know or hear what God is leading us to do when we say theologically that God is beyond us and is beyond our comprehension? How can we grasp what God might be leading us or guiding us to do when our God is one that we cannot see or touch? How can we be sure that we're discerning or hearing correctly and really following God's lead? I think there's several things we need to think about in terms of discernment and doing it well. I put several of these in your outline. I started with this. We do best, I think, when we begin humbly. If you read the 15th chapter of Acts that talks about the early church and the early disciples, they're having a conflict. They're having a conference. They're trying to make a decision about how they're in ministry with the Gentiles since the Jesus movement started as a purely Jewish movement. Now it's expanding to the Gentiles. And finally, after they've discussed it and debated it and prayed about it together, there's a line in chapter 15 that says it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit to proceed and then tells us what they decided to do. It gives us a model for discernment and saying it seemed leaves room for error. It's a humble way to approach sharing what they believe God is leading them to do after discussion and conversation and prayer. It seems that God is leading us in this particular direction. But we see later in the same chapter, still the 15th chapter of Acts, how hard it is to do discernment in a group or together or in a church. Paul and Barnabas have been a dream team in terms of spreading the gospel message to the Gentiles. And now they've had this conference and have been empowered and blessed by the Jerusalem church and the early leaders, the apostles, to go forth. And they cannot agree on which way to go. 
And so they split up and go their separate ways. It's just a reminder of how difficult it can be to discern what God is saying to us in a group. So again, I say we do best when we begin discernment humbly. I've also put this in your outline. Secondly, we do best when we remember that this is about what God is doing in us. As Methodists, as Wesleyans, as people who follow John and Charles Wesley's lead, we talk a lot about grace. That is what God is doing in the world and how God is blessing us. The Wesleys, as the early Methodist movement is getting started, kind of divide grace up into different movements. They talk about prevenient grace or the grace that comes before. We have even acknowledged that God is at work in our lives through Christ. The grace that comes before God's love is already present. Then we talk about justifying grace, that moment or that experience of coming to an awareness that God does love us and we are forgiven and God does offer us mercy and grace and forgiveness and blesses us on our way. Some call it the salvation moment. That's justifying grace. That's what God has done for us. But then Wesley emphasizes more than a lot of other theologians this really important part that after a salvation experience, what about the rest of your life? He talks about it as sanctifying grace or the grace that makes us whole or mature. The salvation moment is important to recognize God at work through Christ in our lives. But then we have the rest of our lives to be living as disciples of Jesus Christ. And we say that God is a part of all of that. That God is changing us from the inside out. That God is working to shape and form who we are as disciples of Christ. Shaping our character and our hearts. So all that we say or do is motivated by love of God and love of our neighbor. I share all of this with you. These movements of grace to remind you that God is not only with us. But what we're talking about mostly in the Christian life and in particularly in discernment is thinking about what God is doing in us and with us. You can see it in the text if you notice what God says at the end of the second verse to Abraham. After he's said, or Abraham at least has heard, that he's to offer up his son as a burnt offering, he says, go to the mountain that I shall show you. Let me read a few of these verses to you so you might hear it more clearly. After he tells him to go, he says, Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. Then the authors reemphasize this over in verse 3. Abraham set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. And then again in the middle of the story in verse 9, when they came to the place that God had shown him over and over. It's clear that God is initiating. God is leading. God is guiding. God is showing Abraham the way. Whenever you're in an experience of discernment, if you're only thinking about yourself or your ego or what you want, you've probably gone astray. You'll probably have trouble understanding what God is leading you to do. The antidote is to be a part of a community of faith. We discern best what God is telling us when we're in community 
when we have others who are mature in the faith and are also seeking God's will to help us. Now, most often in the church, through the ages, that's happened in small groups, often leadership groups who have been given the responsibility to make decisions about direction or vision or mission for a group of Christians. They're discerning what God will say. But in these days of COVID-19, it's not really that different as we're trying to discern what we want to do with our lives. Even though we're not gathering in large groups, you probably have a small group of friends or maybe a family member or a spouse, someone you trust, someone you believe is seeking God's will and is strong in the faith. And it's as simple as saying, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? Or maybe I feel like God is leading me in this direction. Does that make sense to you? Or you might say, I'm struggling with this issue or that decision. Would you pray with me about it? Or would you talk with me about it and tell me what you might be sensing, what you might be sensing God is leading me to do? So this discernment is not a solo activity, even though it involves our relationship with God and our prayers, but it also involves others. It involves the community of faith. So the third key in discernment is doing so in the community of faith, doing that with other Christians on the journey. Now, discernment assumes that God is speaking and leading, guiding and prompting us. Again, you hear this in Abraham's story in lots of places, but we'll look at it in just a couple of places here in the text. So we're at the point of the story where Abraham and Isaac are walking up the mountain alone to offer a sacrifice, and Isaac asks his dad, Father, where's the lamb? What are we going to sacrifice? Now, Isaac doesn't know that Abraham believes that God is asking him to sacrifice his son. Listen to his response. In verse 8, Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And a little bit later on, when finally they're on the top of the mountain, the altar's been built, the wood's been put on it, the fire's about ready to be set, Isaac is bound and laying on top of the wood. Abraham has the knife in his sweaty palm, getting ready to kill his only beloved son. And then he gets a new message from the Lord. And he's told to stop. It's an amazing and dramatic moment in the story. But then at the end of the story, you hear what Abraham concludes about all this in verse 14. When it says, so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The good news in our passage is that God will provide. The Lord will provide. The story reminds of this over and over, and Abraham learns it anew in this experience. Of course, these assumptions about God's provision, whether it's about providing a lamb for a sacrifice or providing us guidance and leading in our own spiritual journey, all of this relies on having an ongoing relationship with God. 
in you being in an ongoing conversation with God. So many people ignore God for large amounts of time in their lives and then they find themselves in a crisis and they're ready for God to be right there and respond to them. And it's not that God is not there, but I think they struggle to really discern what God might be doing in their lives because they have ignored it for so long. But Abraham is a great example for us. He is the model of faith and obedience in this way that through the ups and downs of the story you can read about in Genesis, in terms of this covenant relationship, everything has not been rosy. It's not all gone well. And yet Abraham has continued to be faithful in this relationship with God trying to listen and discern and respond in faith to everything he has heard God saying to him. So you notice, if you read this carefully, that Abraham keeps listening for God and hears more from God. At first he hears, take your son to sacrifice him. If he stops there, Isaac's in real trouble. But Abraham keeps listening Here's verse 11, after he's on top of the mountain and he's about ready to sacrifice Isaac. Verse 11 tells us, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. The voice said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God or respect God, you could say. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So as Abraham keeps listening, what happens? He hears from God again. You could say he hears a fresh message from God. I think it wouldn't be too strong to even say he hears a contrary message from God than what he had thought he heard three days earlier before he began this walking journey. Now we can see that God never intended to take Isaac from Abraham. This is not a story of the death of the blessed son. What you realize as you look at it closely is that no matter what Abraham does, Isaac is going to live. If he fails the test, if he doesn't take him to the mountain, then of course Isaac lives. But if he goes as he does in the story today and gets ready to sacrifice him, God stops him, and Isaac lives that way as well. So This is a good time to pause for a moment. And if you've ever felt or you're feeling that God is leading you to do something contrary to the great commandment to love God and love your neighbor, then keep listening before you act. God is not going to lead you to do something destructive God's leading, the prompting of the Holy Spirit will be consistent with the revelation of Jesus Christ to do all you can to love God and love your neighbor. If you're feeling like God is leading you to do something contrary to that, keep listening before you act. Seek out the guidance of other people of faith because I don't believe that God will ever lead you to do something like that. God's leading, God's prompting. It's going to be consistent with what God did in Christ in the world, which is to reveal more love, to embody more love for the good of all. So keep listening. In Methodism, 
we are reminded often that our frame of reference for discernment is guided by scripture tradition experience and reason we know that it's good to know what others have experienced in the faith and now is contained in holy scripture it's good to know how they experience god at work in their lives but it's also good to know what others since the end of the scripture descriptions of faith what people have experienced we call that tradition it's the tradition of the church what other leaders have experienced and written down and saved for our good it's also important to look at our own experience with god and how long has that been and how deep is that and how attentive have we been to god's holy spirit working in our lives and then the last one is reason does this make sense in the frame of reference of faith of scripture and tradition and experience does this make any kind of sense in terms of how god would be leading me forward i thought maybe just to take a minute here before we close to think about those four as a frame of reference in terms of the decisions we've made here at the church around the coronavirus all the way back in march when it really began to hit the news headlines there were a group of us staff here talking about that on March 12th and discussing what we should do. We discerned that it was best to close the church. And basically we began as we were talking as leaders and staff here at the church to think about this biblical notion of the most vulnerable and taking care of the least. Just as Reverend Venable read in the scripture today, think about the little ones, the powerless ones, the marginalized ones or the most vulnerable ones in society. And how do we as Christians care for them? So it seemed like to us the best way to move forward to protect the most vulnerable were to close the doors of the church and temporarily only have worship and other things remotely or digitally. But it was not only that. We knew that we had people in that high-risk category that we wanted to protect. Really, probably over half of the church by age or previous conditions in the high-risk category. So is it a good idea for all of us to get together in large groups? No, it is a dangerous thing to do right now. But then I also looked at tradition in terms of that. There have been other pandemics in history. What did Christians do? And what you find is that they continue to be in ministry with other people. But nowhere could I find that they gathered in large groups during a pandemic. The care was one-on-one -on -one or in small groups close to home. So we've continued to offer you those opportunities to serve others through missions, but in safe ways. We've invited you this last week to bring diapers for dads, to help families, fathers who are caring for young children that might need that kind of assistance. We've offered you the opportunity to bring food or to go and serve food with our church partner, the historic Vernon AME Church that has this daily feeding program during this time of COVID-19, we continue to write notes and letters and make phone calls and respond to people in need, particularly those who are grieving some kind of loss, particularly those who are experiencing death and bereavement. Just this week, Reverend Venable did three different services for families who had lost a loved one. So we're continuing to be in ministry, even though we're not gathering in large groups. I think it's consistent with tradition of the church. 
And then little did we know what our experience would be that once we closed the doors that more and more people who had never registered their attendance would begin to do so and we'd be able to connect people with this church and make it their church home, bring them into this church family. We've been able to take help people take that very first step in terms of receiving the waters of baptism and professing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's been a wonderful opportunity that we didn't see coming, but it's been a marvelous experience over these several weeks. It just all makes sense to me that we keep the doors of the church locked for now. It's a temporary thing, even though it may seem like it's going on forever. We will get back to a time when we can worship again together. It may look somewhat differently, but we, I am confident, will return to this place and be together for inspiration and worship and have all the wonderful things that worship does for our souls when we're able to gather together. But for now, you could say it's reasonable to continue to do what we're doing and worship remotely and yet serve actively in the name of Christ. So let's keep listening for God to lead us. I can say with all sincerity, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit that we proceed in this way. Amen. And thanks be to God.